Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will go out, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, him, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because your brother, this brother of yours, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Uh, thanks, Claire. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Daryl. I'm one of the pastors here. A special welcome if you're visiting us this morning. Uh, please keep your Bibles open or your, uh, that bulletin open as we look at uh, Luke chapter 15 together. Uh, but before we get into this section of God's Word, will you please join me as I pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your Word so that we can understand you and your character. Heavenly Father, please help me to speak clearly this morning from your word. And we pray that you'll grow us in our understanding of your great love 
and your amazing grace towards us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, For centuries now, uh, this parable that we've just read, that Claire read for us, has been called the prodigal son, the son. But it's a great mistake to think that this parable is about one son. Because it's actually about two sons. The the story of the younger son and the older son. And Jesus wants us to compare and contrast these two sons. Because if you don't, you're going to miss the radical message of this parable. Because what what Jesus says here is radical. Not only for his time back then, but for us today as well. You see, back then, the the prevalent view of how you connected with God was if you obeyed God, if you lived a good life, then you would be accepted by God. And that way of thinking is something that we see in our day and age as well. It's the way of morality. Uh, It's the way of religion. But what Jesus says here in Luke 15 shatters that way of thinking. Because Christianity actually isn't about being religious. It's actually something totally different. And in this parable, we'll see what true Christianity is actually like. Now, a parable is a simple story that Jesus told to explain deep biblical truths. And this morning we're going to have a look at the three characters of this parable as we look at how God welcomes those who are lost. But first, the the context of this parable. Uh, We're introduced to two groups of people that Jesus is talking to. Uh, The first group are the tax collectors and sinners. They were the notoriously bad people of society. And the second group were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're the upstanding members of society. They're the good people. And the good people see that the bad people are drawing near to Jesus. They're gathering around him and Jesus isn't shooing them away, which is what the good people would have done. And so these good people they mutter against Jesus as they say in verse 2, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Well, Jesus knows what they're saying. And that's why he tells this parable. So uh, let's look at this parable. And we first meet the youngest son. now, the original hearers, uh, when they saw, when they hear this parable... That request that the younger son makes is staggering. Because to ask for your inheritance now is actually wishing that your father is dead and that you don't want a relationship with him. The younger son is effectively saying that he wants his father's things, but not his father. Now, that's a horrible thing for a son to say. You see, his father had provided everything for him. 
And yet this ungrateful brat responds by saying, I don't want you in my life. You know, this kind of insult is exactly how each of us actually treat God. We say, God, I I want your stuff. I want all the good things of this life. But I don't want anything to do with you. I'm sure you know tons of people who just take, take, take and don't have any room for the giver. And essentially, that's what sin is. It's a rejection of God. It's what Adam did. It's what the Israelites did. And it's what you and I do too. one of the most remarkable things of this story is what the father does when he's confronted with this sin, when he's confronted with this offensive uh, act, this request. Because in Middle Eastern culture where this is set in, if a son was to say, hey dad, I wish you were dead, you would expect the father to slap his son across the face and throw him out of the house. That would be normal behavior for a dad of this culture. But at the end of verse 12, we read something completely different. Verse 12, it says, He divided his property between them. It's amazing that the father would do that. As the son offends him, the dad rewards him with generosity. Now, to understand the significance of this, we need to understand that the word that we read there, property, is actually the word for life. You see, back in those days, uh, to lose part of your land was to lose part of yourself. So this younger brother then is asking his father to tear his life apart. How would you feel if you were the father. Well, despite experiencing the rejection of his love, the father maintains his affection for the son by giving him over to his desire, even though it breaks his heart. But the father's generosity is only rewarded with further insult as the son goes on to sell the property, the property that the father would have inherited from his father, who most probably inherited from his father. And what we have here, the younger son is liquidating the assets. He's selling the family farm, the source of income for the family. Then this younger son, he goes off, leaves them all behind, and he blows the lot. So we're talking the Ferrari, the beachfront villa, the parties, the girls, especially the girls. And then suddenly, there's a global financial crisis. And it's all gone. The cars we possessed and the girls who were just there because you had a convertible, they leave faster than a Ferrari. Everything's gone. And he finds himself in a dead end 
feeding pigs. I don't think we're supposed to miss the, the significance of a Jewish boy in the pigsty wishing that he was a pig. For a Jew, you see, who thought that this, this animal is an unclean animal, this is as rock bottom as you get. But to make matters worse, verse 16, his boss doesn't even feed him. So even the pigs are better off than he is. It's while he's in the pigsty, he comes to his senses and realizes he needs to go back home. And so he comes up with a plan. Firstly, to go back to his dad and to admit that he's wrong. And secondly, to forfeit his right to be his son and be made one of his hired servants. We actually see here the idea of repentance, where it requires a a change of thinking. It requires an abandoning of your previous life. And it requires painful confession. Well, as the younger son is making his way home, the camera now focuses on the father. Now, the younger son appears on the horizon, and his father, the text tells us, the father sees him and runs to him. Now, as a general rule, Middle Eastern distinguished men don't run. This guy, he wouldn't have picked up his robes and bare his legs like some boy. But this father does. This father, he runs to his son. He embraces him and kisses him. And then the younger son goes into his rehearsed speech, but he doesn't finish it. He he gets halfway and says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts him and he says, you are my son. That's what he's saying when he says to the servants to get not just any robe, but the best robe. When he says to put a ring on his finger, most probably the family signet ring. You see, the father is saying to the younger son, hey, I'm not going to wait until you've paid off the debt. I'm not going to even wait until you take a bath. You're not going to earn your way back into the family. You are family. And I'm going to welcome you back. And then he commands the servants to prepare a feast of extravagant celebration with the fattened calf as the main course. Now this, it isn't your barbecue chook at Coles that feeds the family of four. No, this is the fattened calf, especially bred to feed 75 people or more. That's what he's going to kill in order to celebrate his son returning home. This father celebrates in in opulent manner. And it can be seen that this party is actually against reason. Because it could have been entirely reasonable for the father to behave in a completely different way. It would have been reasonable for him to turn his son away, given all that he's done. 
it would have been completely reasonable for at least to let the son grovel a bit, to let him finish his speech, to get him to make his way to the house as opposed to him going to him. But the father runs to him. He embraces him and restores him. What we see here is an astounding message about who God is and what he's like. That his love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any kind of sin. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. There's no evil that the Father's love cannot pardon. There's no sin that's a match for his grace. Now, this is actually so different from how many people in our society think about God. So many people think that God is more like a a cold, calculating judge, more like a, a moral policeman who's aloof. But what we see here is how lavishly reckless God is and how his grace is. The fact that the the father hugs his son even before he has a chance to clean up his life, even before he can recite his repentance speech, it shows that God's love and acceptance is absolutely free. Now, the story doesn't finish there. Uh, In a Sunday school school class, a girl was asked, who was unhappy about the youngest son returning home? And the little girl put her hand up and said, the fattened calf. (laughs) Yeah, because its prospects weren't too good afterwards. But there's someone else in the story. Verse 25. The elder brother comes back into the story. Now, this, of course, was the, the dutiful child, the hard-working one, the one who's been there the whole time. And when he finds out about the party, well, verse 28, he's furious because he doesn't even consider him a brother. Uh, we see that in verse 30 where the older brother says to his father, when this son of yours... You see, he can't even call him his brother. And so the older brother... He refuses to go in to perhaps the most uh, biggest and most public event that his father has ever put on. You see, the older son, he's remaining outside the door. as a, uh, He's publicly casting a vote of no confidence in his father's actions, which culturally would have been very offensive to his father. Now, why is this older son so furious? Well, he's especially upset about the cost of all that's happening. He says, hey, Dad, you never gave me even a goat for a party. How dare you give him the calf? However, the fattened calf is only a symbol because what the father has done costs more than the calf. Because it's only at the elder brother's expense that the younger brother can be brought back in. Because Jesus said, the father has divided the property between them. 
before the younger son left. So the younger son had gotten his portion, and it's completely gone. And when the father says to the older brother, my son, everything I have is yours, he's telling the literal truth. Every cent remaining in the family's estate belongs to the older brother. Every robe, every ring, every, uh, every pair of shoes, every fatted calf is the elder's son by right. So no wonder the brother is so angry. The older brother says to his father, Hey, I've worked to death and earned what I've got. But this guy, he's done nothing to earn anything. In fact, given what he's done, he deserves to be kicked out of the family. And yet you lavish him with wealth? Where's the justice in that? But you know, deep down, the older brother isn't actually interested in what the father wants. He's not interested in making his father happy. You see, the older brother, even though he's been there the whole time, well, relationally, he's as far away from his father as his younger brother was when he was in the pigsty. As he only obeyed so he could earn everything that he has. This is an important point here. Because if we were to relate to God in terms of religion, in terms of what you do, then it actually misses the mark with having a relationship with God. And so in this sense, the two boys are exactly the same. Neither really cares for their father, neither reciprocates his love, neither desires what he desires. This is a story of two lost sons in the end. You see, both have caused offense to their father in the way they behave. Yet the father, in love and amazing tenderness, ends up going out to both of them. And both of them need to repent. You see, the older brother parallels the Pharisees that we met in verse 1. And uh, where we see that they are self-deluded in their standing with God. Which is why they actually don't have a relationship with God. You know, the problem is, it's so easy for us to be like the older brother. Where we think it's about what we do to earn our relationship with God. And when we think like that, we can fall into the trap of self-assurance and self-righteousness. And we need to repent of that. Because if you live your life like that, there's no real relationship with God. If you're a person who's sitting here this morning, and that's you, please hear the warning of the older brother. Because you're standing at a distance while the party is going on. It's time to come in, to come back to the father, just like the younger son did.
Now the thing about forgiveness, it never comes without a cost. And we saw in the parable, someone has to bear that cost. Now if we were to step in the shoes of the uh, younger brother for a second, you'd be glad that your father, he saw you in the distance and not your older brother. You want to know, you know that your father loves you because you know that your older brother doesn't. Your father embraces you, but your older brother doesn't want you at home. You know, the wonderful news of the Bible was that in Jesus, we have a far better older brother than the one in this parable. We have the best older brother ever. Because while we're returning home, well, it came at great cost to the older brother, but Jesus, he willingly gave that for us. Surely it was his robe, his ring, his sandals, his calf, but he gave it generously. You see, in Jesus, we have an older brother who took off his robe in order to robe us in righteousness. In Jesus, we have an older brother who is crowned with a crown of thorns so that we might have a crown of glory. In Jesus, we have an older brother who stretches his arms wide on a cross in order to embrace us in God's love. That's the older brother we have. And these gifts that we receive from God, they're given when we repent and trust in Jesus, who makes God's forgiveness possible. Whichever brother you are, if you're here and you want to come back home to God, I want to encourage you to talk to God right now and to ask him to welcome you back home. I'm actually going to pray pray a prayer in just a moment. And it's designed for people who just want to do just that. It won't be applicable for everyone. So let me tell you what I'm going to say, and you can work it out if it's a good prayer for you. Uh, The prayer is actually on that comment card that's in the um, envelope on your way in. The prayer is also printed on the back of your bulletin. Uh, The structure of this prayer, it has three points. Sorry, thank you, please. When you have a quick look at that prayer, let me walk it through with you. I'll put it on the screen as well. Three points. The first point, the sorry. It says, I admit that I've tried to ignore you and resisted your right to be in charge. I no longer want to live that way. Then secondly, thank you for sending your son to die for me so that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Then lastly, please, please forgive me and change me, that I may live with Jesus as my Saviour and Lord. Three points. Sorry, thank you, please. Now I'm going to pray this prayer sentence by sentence. If this is a prayer that you want to pray, why not echo it in your head as I say it? If this isn't your prayer, why not you say something to God that's more appropriate to your situation? 
Would you join me as I pray that prayer now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I admit I've tried to ignore you and resisted your right to be in charge. I no longer want to live that way. Thank you for sending your son to die for me so that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my Saviour and Lord. Amen.